Hello, I'm Dr. Lucy, and this is the Primal Alternative Podcast. You're listening to the Primal Alternative Podcast, inspiration for your evolution. Welcome back, dear listeners, to another exciting episode of the Primal Alternative Podcast. Yep, it's been a two and a half year hiatus. Sorry about that. And I seriously couldn't be more thrilled to bring you a truly remarkable comeback episode. I'm your host, Helen Marshall. I'm a certified primal health coach and founder of the grain-free food range, Primal Alternative. And today we're diving into an inspiring journey of transformation, empowerment, and the path to health and well-being. So as you know, this podcast has always been about real food, real stories, and real people. And that's why it couldn't be more apt to have my friend, Dr. Lucy Burns from Real Life Medicine on the show. Dr. Lucy is not just a medical doctor, but also a weight loss expert, reformed sugar addict, and a true beacon of hope for anyone struggling with their health and weight. And there's an even more special connection here. Dr. Lucy and Primal Alternative first connected while they were hosting the Low Carb Roadshow across Australia. And they were so excited about our amazing low carb pizzas, breads, bagels, granola, and cookies that she wanted Primal Alternative to have a stall at their events. And, you know, it really is moments like those that make our real food journey all the more meaningful. So join us as we explore Dr. Lucy's personal journey from the depths of yo-yo dieting, we've all been there, to embracing a low-carb, real food lifestyle. We'll uncover the turning points that led her to abandon traditional dieting and sugar addiction, helping her shed a remarkable 20 kilos and maintain that newfound health for over five years. But that's not all. Dr. Lucy's experiences as an obesity medical practitioner have given her invaluable insights into the challenges and health issues faced by many on a weight loss journey. So we'll delve into these observations and learn how they've shaped her unique approach to supporting others on their journey for a healthier life. And let's not forget one of the most intriguing topics, insulin resistance. Dr. Lucy has an extraordinary way of explaining complex concepts, and she introduces us to her woodshed analogy, a tool that simply uh, makes understanding insulin resistance and its impact on our bodies actually something you'll get. (laughs) So throughout this episode, you'll hear Dr. Lucy's passionate belief in the power of self-compassion as a driver of change. You cannot hate yourself thin and you cannot berate yourself well, she wisely reminds us. So buckle up for a captivating conversation filled with insights, personal stories and practical wisdom. Dr. Lucy is going to take us behind the scenes of transitioning from a doctor's surgery into the online space, establishing a weight loss clinic and then going completely online to reach a wider audience. Plus, she's going to share how she manages to balance a thriving career, her online presence, and a fulfilling personal life. 
It's a comeback episode like no other, and it's about taking control, embracing health, and finding joy in the journey. So let's dive in and welcome Dr. Lucy Burns to the Primal Alternative Podcast. I often like to start with what did I have for breakfast? So it's actually easy for me to answer for that because the majority of the time I actually have nothing. And I know that many of you will have heard breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And I certainly preached that to my patients for decades. But honestly, the most important meal of the day is the first meal of the day at whatever time that happens to be. And it doesn't have to be six o'clock in the morning. So for me, I usually start with a coffee and it's just a black coffee, and then my first meal of the day that can be at any time in which I'm particularly hungry is always a protein-laden meal. So it might be something like scrambled eggs, boiled eggs. I'm a bit of an eggs person. They're easy. My brain always likes easy. Or it'll be some leftovers. Or occasionally I will have some yogurt with some granola and berries. But again, I always have to make sure that I've hit that protein macro. So sometimes I start with eggs, so I have two-course breakfast. But there we go. That's my tip of the day. Start with a high-protein breakfast at any particular time you like. Perfect. So, Dr. Lucy, can you share your personal journey from being a medical doctor to embracing a low-carb, real-food lifestyle? What were the key turning points that led you to make this transformation? Oh, absolutely, Helen. So um, I call myself the dieting queen. I was a a, a long-term dieter. I used to manage my weight by dieting. I'd go on a diet. I'd be really strict. I was very good. I I have a lot of willpower. But what would eventually happen is that I would either get to my goal weight and then the wheels would fall off and I'd just go back on whatever my previous eating style was and over time the weight would all just come back on. Or alternatively, I would have some sort of stressful event in my life. I wouldn't even get to whatever the magical goal was, and I'd just go on a bender. And so I was either perfect or on a bender. And this seesawing, yo-yoing, whatever you call it, lifestyle, I just I had no, really no understanding or no self-awareness of my thought patterns. I just didn't know. All I knew was that to lose weight, I would eat less. I'd go madly at the gym and do all my exercise. And to gain weight, I just thought, well, it was because I was eating too much. I was just, you know, being greedy. Again, I'd be on a bender. It would be high. Sugar, sugar was my thing. I was always calling myself a chocoholic, a lolitarian, sweet tooth. You know, I'd go out to breakfast and eat pancakes or I'd eat um, French toast with maple syrup. It was always the sweet stuff. And part of this, I used to think to myself, how could I live a life without chocolate? So I'd be in my practice and I'd be perhaps talking to people about um, stopping smoking. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, God, I'm asking them to give up something they love. How could I ever give up chocolate? I would never be able to do it. I'd die. Like that was the talk. I'd die, which is clearly far from the truth. (laughs) But seriously, I just thought my life would not be worth living if I couldn't just sit on the couch and scoff a bag of Maltese as well, I was reading a book. So this, this was just my thought process for decades, like decades. And then I got to the point where I was in my late 40s. I was 
you know, fatter than I'd ever been, heavier than when I was pregnant with my very, very big babies and wearing elastic waisted pants. And I just sort of thought to myself, oh, look, this is it. I'm I'm just destined for this because I'm middle-aged. My husband still loves me. So, you know, who cares? doesn't really matter. And then there were two things that triggered me into taking some action. So the first thing was that I kept actually getting heavier. Like I realized there was actually no upper limit because I do this thing where I'd bargain with myself and I go, oh, look, if I stay this amount, that'll be all right. You know, I've got some clothes that fit. Maybe I'm not perfect, but it doesn't matter. And then, you know, five more kilos would go on. I go, oh, well, if I stay this amount, it'll be all right. And I just kept bargaining. And then one day I just thought, actually, that it's never going to stop. I've just got this gigantic shed and it's storage shed. It's never going to stop. So there was that. And then there was sadly the diagnosis of some metabolic dysfunction. So I actually had fatty liver disease, insulin resistance, pre-diabetes. And I just thought, oh, God, <laughs> what's going on here? I'm a doctor and I've got pre-diabetes and fatty liver disease. And, you know, I don't, I didn't drink a lot, but I ate a shit ton of sugar. So I just had to. So anyway, it was. I actually stumbled across low carb when I was on yet another diet sitting. We went on holidays and I said to my friend, oh, look, really sorry. I'm going to have to be on a diet on these holidays. I'm just, you know, so I'm sitting there eating carrot sticks and I look at her and I go, you look amazing. What's been going on? She goes, I've just ditched the carbs. And I go, what do you mean? So she told me about it. Then she's telling me about how she's eating steak and eggs and no fruit. And I'm thinking, I'm I'm literally sitting there eating a bag of carrot sticks that I'd picked up. And I'm thinking, what? That sounds like rubbish. So um, I initially ignored it. And then on the holiday, saw what she was eating. I thought, God, that looks good. Really looks good because I had been the low fat diet queen. And I it never, the idea of putting butter on your steak just seemed like amazing and indulgent and I thought how could this work and then I so I thought I'll give it a crack you know and I initially treated it like another diet like every other diet I'd ever been on and I was you know I learned and I did macros and I counted and whatnot and the amazing thing that happened for me was that I just had this different level of energy and this different amount of brain different, like less brain chatter. I had had so much brain chatter my whole life with dieting. Will I, won't I have it? A little bit won't hurt. Just have a little bit. If you can have a little bit, come on. There was like this little evil twin inside going, come on, just have a little bit. And and that, she just, she just stopped talking. And it was like, wow. And I think for the first time in my life, I was fueled properly. And so that then gave me this space to then work backwards and unlearn all my diet culture and all the diet stories and behaviour and things that I'd been taught, and I just rewrote them. And so now I'm not, clearly, I'm not on a diet. I have had stable weight for the last five years. Uh, my, I, I just am a low-carbitarian, and and I, it's it's not always easy but it is so much easier than it was. Amazing. What an inspiring story. And 20 kilos down as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, 20 kilos. And, look, um, you know, your listeners obviously can't 
see me, but I also have muscular dystrophy. So I used to, one of the tools I would use to manage my weight, as I said, was madly exercising, going to the gym, like, you know, two, two sessions a day, because the whole idea was, of course, in my mind, to be as small as possible. And I mean, that's just another layer that I had to, uh, I guess, learn because I, I'm tall. And so for my whole life, I was always called a big girl. Oh, you're a big girl. Oh, she's such a big girl. And of course, in our language, big girls is a euphemism for fat girls, mm. overweight girls. And so, yeah, I started dieting at 16 because I was trying to be smaller. Um, so, yeah. So, again, re, so two things, I think it's finding that, meta, understanding that metabolic health drive and then understanding that mind management, which includes redefining body image, which is super important. You don't need to be thin to be worthy and you don't need to be thin to be healthy, but certainly improving your metabolic health will relate, will result in weight loss. So as a doctor, what were the common challenges and health problems that you saw in your patients related to weight loss and obesity and how did these experiences shape your approach to helping others in their weight loss journey? Ah, like I I have done, you know, whatever the opposite of 180 degrees, like a 720 degree pivot. <laughs> so I I now, you know, I I used to preach the same old diet advice and just tell people, you know, you just you just need to stop it. Just stop eating the sugar. That was my tool, one tool, stop it. And re- recognizing that for so many of these people, they're, they're just underfueled. They're not getting the right fuel. So I'd been giving them the wrong map. And now, of course, seeing my um, my own experience and my initial, so I, then I just thought, right, I've got to tell the whole world. I became like a, a low-carb zealot, like lots of people do. You just, it's so exciting. You feel so good. You just want to tell everybody. And so I opened a clinic. And I initially called it epiphany because I thought, oh, my God, I have had an epiphany. But there are a couple of problems with this name. One was that not everybody knew what an epiphany was. Some people thought it was religious because there, there is the holy epiphany, which is some religious event. And the, th- the third and probably the trigger for me changing the name was that some people called it epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, epiphany weight loss. No, so um, yeah, so so anyway, then I um yeah, and so then I've I've partnered with Dr. Mary, and we we rebranded as Real Life Medicine, which actually fits so much, so much, uh, so much more in keeping with who we are as real people and experiencing, you know, the whole real, the real, the real ups and downs of life. Um, so, yeah, so that meant that everything changed for me. I recognise that uh, there are people with fatty liver disease who I used to do. What I'm sure a lot of doctors still do is, oh, you've just got to touch a fatty liver disease. Um, yeah, not much we can do about that. Oh, look, you're almost, yeah, you're not, you, you've you've got a little bit, you're close to diabetes, you're not there yet. So, you know, just go and lose a bit of weight and just, I mean, general just rubbish advice. Um, I used to prescribe statins all the time and now I'm much more judicious with them. Um, blood pressure, I, you know, because in my mind the thought I had was that diet and exercise don't work. So what's the point of even telling people about them? 
And I didn't realize that it was the type of diet and the type of exercise that I was used to myself that didn't work. So changing, again, focusing on on nutrition and nourishment and helping people with what they can eat and what is more, you know, eat more of these things because most people just think of of a diet as restrictive. You can't eat this, you can't eat that. Whereas if you actually say to people, you know what, you can, you can eat more protein, you can have some more fat in your diet. Yeah, have some veggies, but, you know, you don't have to view everything in your life as being, I can't have this and I can't have that. Perfect. Amazing. So insulin resistance, you touched on it before. It's a common issue Mm. associated with weight gain and metabolic disorders. So can you explain what it is and how one person could identify if they've got it? And also, while you're at it, I've heard you mention (laughs) this woodshed analogy in the work that you do. Could you elaborate on this analogy and tell us how it relates to understanding insulin resistance? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the general population, again, there's even within the low carb world, there's there's varying degrees of knowledge. And there are some people who are extremely knowledgeable and understand exactly what's going on with metabolic hormones. But if I was to go and interview the general public and I'd say to them, do you know, do you know what insulin resistance is? Most people would have no idea. And so it's really important for people to, I guess, have some way of relating what that is to who they are. So the way um, I like to describe it is, so insulin is a hormone, it's made by our pancreas and it has, its main job is to regulate our blood glucose. So most people will know that blood glucose is important. If we have too much glucose, then we're developing type 2 diabetes. If we have not enough, then we get those hypoglycemic uh, experiences that lots of people who don't have diabetes still experience. So glucose is a bit like Goldilocks. We need just the right amount to fuel our body. So the pancreas' job is to make as much insulin as necessary to do that and to keep our blood sugar regulated and to move glucose into the muscles where it's used for fuel. The problem we have is that the pancreas, such a good pancreas, good pancreas, I'm always saying to it, you're a good pancreas, (laughs) it's very enthusiastic, and it will make buckets of this insulin, which is which is helpful to keep your blood sugar under control. But insulin has a few side gigs, and one of them is it locks away your fat stores. So you cannot burn fat while you have high insulin. So all of a sudden, we've got a whole population of people with very high blood insulin levels. They have no idea about this, which means they can't access this, their fat. They cannot lose. They cannot lose fat. They can't burn fat. They just can't use the fat that they're carrying around. So to try and put this into just some easy to understand terms, I say to people, you know, if you imagine, if you're trying to heat your house and you've got an open fireplace, you tend to use some kindling to get it started and then we'll put some logs on. And if we do that, that's how a fireplace runs effectively, heats the house and everyone's happy. What we've done is we live in a world where we are putting lots of kindling on all the time. 
we've got a giant pile of kindling next to our fireplace and we add it on and we have to keep adding it on because it only lasts you know you know imagine if you're trying to actually heat your house with kindling you'd be sitting there like every 10 minutes putting stuff on and what's happened for us the people with insulin resistance which is a lot like well and truly over 60 or 70% in some parts of our population so a huge amount of people have this they don't have any logs next to their fireplace their logs are all in a woodshed out the back. So, you know, they're trying to heat the house, they get their kindling, they put that on and they think, oh, I must go out and get some logs. And so they toddle out to the woodshed and when and they look in the window and they can see them all, stacks, heaps of logs, all there ready to burn. They go to open the door and they can't open it. And the door is locked with a padlock and that padlock is insulin. So if you have high, really high levels, you might have nine or 10 padlocks on your shed and there's no way you're going to open it. And so you come back to your fireplace and it's looking a bit sad and the coals are getting low and the embers are getting low and so you have to fuel it. And the only fuel you've got is more kindling. And if you leave it too long, and this is where I reckon lots of people relate to, if they leave it too long, they just start to get lightheaded, dizzy, they can't think. And all of a sudden their brain starts telling them, eat something, for God's sake, eat something. And their brain is also very clever and knows it needs simple, quick sugars. So it's then looking for, you know, Mars bars or something that it can digest quickly, quick hit. And it's often, it might be drink, it might be Coke, it might be, uh, you know, sugar, coffee with sugar in it, it might be a dare, whatever, anything. There's so much available again. And every time that happens... Basically, we pop another log on the, not another lock on the woodshed. So therefore, we want to open the woodshed. And the only way to do that is to reduce insulin. And the way we reduce insulin, I mean, there's a couple of ways, but one of the most effective ways is to reduce the kindling in the first place. So the kindling is your carbohydrates. So reduce that. We then at the start, in particular, if I take away all the kindling, if I say to somebody, listen, here's just two sticks of kindling for the day, they're going to run out of fuel because their shed's not yet open. So we have to have lots of fat at the start. It's really hard for people when they first hear about it. Their palate is so attuned to low fat. And it feels, for some people, it feels really hard. For me, it was like, oh, my God. Hallelujah. (laughs) Come to mama. I'm home. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. But for some people, I recognise it is hard, and so we have to really just encourage them. But then what happens is their woodshed opens, and all of a sudden they go, oh, my God, I'm not hungry. And the telltale sign for me is always if they say to me, Lucy, I just can't look at another plate of bacon and eggs for breakfast. What else can I have? And that's when I go, ah, your woodshed's open. That's why you don't need anything else. Just, Just wait. Just have nothing and wait till you're hungry. And all of a sudden your brain will go, okay, I can do bacon and eggs now. And that's part of the reason why um, we have moved into things like like carbohydrates. You can eat them any old time, any old time. You can be at a barbecue and you've just had a whole pile of, you know, good food, maybe some steak, some salad, and then someone comes around with a plate of leftover lamb chops with the tail on it and your brain's going, oh, no, thanks, no way, I can't fit another thing in. And then five minutes later, they're out with the pavlova and your brain goes, oh, yes, oh, yes, please. (laughs) So we can always, always fit carbohydrate in. But if it's fat and protein and we don't want it, it's because we're actually fueled and full. 
Hey there, amazing listeners. Before we continue, I've got something exciting to share with you. The Primalista License. Are you passionate about health, wellness, and delicious grain-free food? Becoming a Primalista could be your perfect fit. With the Primalista License, you can turn your love for nourishing alternatives into a flexible, freedom-based business. Imagine creating mouth-watering, grain-free breads, pizzas, cookies, and more, while making a positive impact on your community's well-being. As a Primalista, you'll join a supportive tribe of wellness entrepreneurs, all committed to spreading the goodness of grain-free living. So, if you're ready to step into the world of wellness entrepreneurship, head over to primalalternative.com forward slash license to find out more. Become a Primalista and let your passion for health and wellness flourish. So traditional weight loss options often revolve around bariatric surgery and medication. So how do you feel about the lack of alternative options available to patients and what motivated you to establish your clinic? Epiphany as it started off, but now it's a lot more descriptive, (laughs) does what it says on the tin, that offers that different approach. Well, look, certainly, so, you know, and it's, you know, we're in a very interesting stage in the world with uh, relation to body image, body size and health. And it's really navigating a very, it's it's quite a, you know, and to use a, a very, uh, you know, colloquialism, it is a minefield. And the minefield is this idea that we, that, that shaming people into losing weight is really, really unhelpful, um, doesn't work. I know we've done it for a long, long time. Um, our society has done it. And certainly, uh, you know, I often talk about diet culture. My mum my mum is a long-term dieter and they had every week the person that put on the most weight for the week. So everyone, of course, got weighed. Everyone's weights were all called out. And the person that put on the most weight, they got given a pig badge. No. And they had to wear that badge for the rest of the week. Yeah. And, of course, the thinking behind it is that you will do anything to avoid the shame of wearing the pig badge, so therefore you will do your your diet or whatever it was. But, honestly, that's not how humans work. We don't work like that. And whilst it seems like a good idea at the time, it was a terrible idea and just made people feel really, really bad about themselves. So the concept is that we, you know, as a doctor, there are people who are have a BMI that is over 25 and they're still very healthy. So again, the traditional thing of BMI between 20 and 25 is defined as the healthy weight range. That's not strictly true. You can be over that and still be healthy. And that's perfectly fine. You don't, we don't all need to, you know, look like Margot Robbie. I'm just thinking of the Barbie movie to (laughs) be healthy. Okay. You can be very healthy in a body that is a BMI over the 25. But there comes a point where uh, insulin resistance, where we start to see things like fatty liver disease, like type 2 diabetes, like hypertension, like heart disease, um, that do increase, obviously, our health, that, sorry, affect our health and increase our risk of of death, which is unhelpful, and, um, you know, and just reduce our quality of life. And, And the majority of all of those conditions are related to insulin. So if we get the insulin down, take the padlocks off the shed, the shed will open, the person can burn their own fat. Now, the tricky thing is 
that it it is it, it's I'd love to say it's super easy. It's not. If it was super easy, everyone would do it. So there are lots of factors that come to why people gain weight in the first place. Some of it is that, you know, that a bit like me, they would just diet it. That was their only tool. They knew about dieting, not dieting. For a lot of other people, there are things like trauma um, that in childhood that causes this trauma response and they're using food as their soothing, their safety their being in a bigger body is safe. All of those things, their psychological overlay are really, really important. And for some people, change, just saying to them, we'll change what you what you eat, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's hard for them. But the thing I think is that bariatric surgery, a lot of people think that's that's going to help them straight away. Like that's all they need. All they need to do is get thin and they'll be fine again. What we really need to look at is what is the root cause? What, what caused the weight gain in the first place? You know, not, not just what did you eat, but why did you eat? And, and the why did you eat is never done judgmentally. It's never done with, you know, uh, well, from my point of view, it's never done with asking, you know, making people feel ashamed shamed because it all it is is a tool that they often use to self-soothe uh to feel better and our brain is always just trying to keep us safe and make us feel better mm. and for some people food serves those two purposes and it's available and so I often always say to people listen you know we need to move past feeling bad about ourselves you know, feel bad. If you murder somebody, I want you to feel bad. You know, if you rip off an old lady on some internet scam, I want you to feel bad. If you've binged on chocolate because you've had a terrible day, I don't want you to feel bad about that. What we want to be able to do is go, okay, well, what can we do to change this behavior in a really non-judgmental way? So, yeah, so certainly lots of my patients have had bariatric surgery and not uh, been able to maintain their weight loss because bariatric surgery doesn't I always address the root cause. I think it can be a helpful tool, but it's not always the only Amazing. tool. Amazing. So transitioning from working in surgery to the online space can be a significant change. So can you share yes. your experience of launching and reaching more people online? Because I do have a lot of people that follow along who are wellness entrepreneurs as well, who would love to learn, you know, the strategies or techniques that you found most effective in promoting yourself and your message to a wider audience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're you're totally right, Helen. I mean, as a doctor, you I don't I didn't advertise at all. I just got a room and suddenly the people just poured on in. And in fact, to the point where I had to close books, you know, I had more people than I could than I could see, which is really part of the reason for moving into the online space is that you can see and help a lot of people without having to do the one-to-one. So the one-to-one problem is that you're repeating the same message, you know, you're saying it 20 times a day and it's like, right, imagine if I had you all in one room and I could just say the same thing to all of you and we could have a discussion (laughs) around it and, you know, that would be, and one person could ask a question and the other person could go, yeah, I was thinking that. And you've, so it really consolidates uh what you're trying to say in a and reaching people in a way I personally think in a in a way that is much more effective than the one-to-one the one-to-one can certainly be useful particularly for people that have very specific medical needs 
um, and particularly things like eating disorders, um, they, they probably need one-to-one. Mm. But for lots of people, lots of people, the group coaching works really well for us. So we designed a program uh, which is called the 12-Week Mind-Body Rebalance because for two reasons. It, it is. It's that metabolic map to you know, heal that metabolic processes, the insulin resistance that I was just talking about that, you know, I'm sure your listeners are all aware of as well. But but doing that in a way that is, you know, backed in science uh, with somebody hopefully who who knows, you know, hopefully we know what we're talking about. We, It's interesting. As a doctor, I think uh, there are certainly plenty of doctors who are pretty rigid in their thinking and both Mary and I are always... Uh, refining so refining the messages to look at what's new particularly with the low carb world and you know these days when we first started we probably we didn't focus enough on protein and now it's becoming apparent that protein is really critical for many things so you know we're just always refining our message Um, but the thing about that particularly the 12-week mind-body rebalance is that it's really the mind it is the mind once you learn what you need to do lots of people know lots of people will will take that map and just go good thank you see you later and I go goodbye see you I'm so happy well done (laughs) and then there are other people who who can't it's like they can't read the map and that's their mind so they need you know an internal compass to help them and that is really just unpacking a whole heap of that you know and we call it diet trauma the shame the guilt the patterns, the ideas, the restrictions, the thought, the thoughts and the feelings that then create your actions. So, yeah, we spend a lot of time on that, which is really what we love because that's where the, the change actually happens. Everyone can do something for a short period of time, but if you want to do it long-term, then you really do need to change your thoughts and feelings. Absolutely. So managing your time and maintaining your busy schedule can be really challenging. So how do you balance your work in the weight loss clinic online and in your personal life? And are there any specific rituals or practices you follow to ensure that you can provide amazing service whilst also taking care of yourself? Absolutely. So um, I also realized I didn't particularly answer your last question well, because so two things happened Uh, as I, so we started this, uh, the online space right when COVID hit. It was in May 2020, just after all the restrictions. And initially people said, oh, you'll need to wait because, you know, there's COVID, there's all this uncertainty. People haven't got any money to be spending on weight loss. And it was like, well, we're ready. So we just went for it. So the thing that people people will always be telling you, you're not ready, you're not good enough, don't, don't nobody's going to do this. Like, we're, you know, the naysayers. And uh, look, honestly, I just, I just didn't listen to them. So both Mary and I did work very hard in that first year, getting their programs up and running. And really it was like running two jobs. And for us, COVID was a bit of a blessing because we were in Melbourne and we were locked down for a very long time. So there was sort of nothing else to do. So then uh, the transition was that I was working four days and I worked three days and I worked two days. So I slowly stopped working on one-to-one and increase the one-to-many as the business group, which is, I think, and it's hard. It's a bit, there's always going to be a critical time where you either think you're working too hard in your two businesses 
or you're not working enough and because, you know, there's not enough money coming in or something like that. And I often think it's a bit like when you've had babies and your babies are transitioning their sleep. And so, you know, they've gone from two sleeps a day to one sleep and that's not quite enough. <laughs> then they go to no sleep. And, <laughs> and so you just have to ride that rough bit. And that's, that's you know, you just have to ride it through. But learning, again, learning so that it's weight loss is very much like business. It's about the strategy and the mindset. So we learnt the strategy and then managed our mindset around it. So that is really critical. You you can't run an online business just by making the course. The course is actually the least important bit because what happens is you make the course and no one knows about it. You've actually got to market the course, which I think for a lot of people is the hard bit. And that does involve every most days engaging with an audience somewhere because if you want to run an online business, well, then the people are online. So you need to reach them online, which does mean doing things that some people find a bit awkward like, you know, Facebook Lives or Instagram Lives or making reels and all of that stuff that, you know, I had to learn. But I I love it. I love learning new things. So for me, I just looked at it as like it's like learning a new language. It's sort of fun. And it's challenging. And so, yeah, so that was good. So then to bring this all the full circle about how do I uh, care for myself, again, I am, I have a potential to be a bit of a workaholic. My husband calls my office the bunker. And every now and then he'll say, you need to come out of your bunker. <laughs> and so I did. Uh, I have, I have a, uh, so now I don't work in the clinic at all, so I don't actually have to go to work ever, as in a, a building, but I do all my work online, um, all my work in my bunker. And so to, in order to be really intentional about that, I have a few things that I do, and one of them is cold water swimming. <laughs> so uh, I, I started swimming. So we have a pool. I mean, I've had a pool in my backyard for for many, many years and I hardly used it. I'm sort of cross with myself now, but I'm being kind about that. And now I'm in it most days, even so it's currently, you know, in the middle of winter in Melbourne, the pool's not heated. It's very, very cold, but I use that as my, it's like invigorating. And so I get in there and I'm doing this, <gasps> but I know it's super good for my mitochondrial health. So, and again, we haven't even talked about that, but that's another whole layer. And for me, mitochondrial health is the next level. So, you know, low carb first, all of those holistic health things that we talk about, mitochondrial is the next level. What levers can I pull to improve my mitochondrial health? So, yeah, so I do that. And we've also, I mean, we, we, I've, out, I've outsourced. So I now have got to the point in our business where we can outsource the things that don't need a doctor to do. So I don't need a doctor to to make a few Canva tiles. Um, I don't need, you know, a doctor to schedule routine Facebook posts. So we've outsourced everything that, not everything, but most things that don't need a doctor to do. But the thing I would say as a business owner is that you do need to know how to do it. Yeah. You don't have to do it, but you need to know how to do it. And we know, I know how to run, I know how to do every single thing in our business. I can, I can make the web page. I can make a landing page. I can do the offer. I can do, I can do it all. I don't have to, but I know I need to know how to. Amazing. So amazing. And you taught me a word um, not so long ago and I said it wrong. Ikigai. Ikigai. Yes. Ikigai. 
because um, I've sent you some lovely uh, primal alternative goodies for your you know, mm. presence on the podcast today. And I know we've been uh, had a couple of primal alternative stalls at your low carb road show, which has been incredible mm. what you've been doing there. So I'd love you to share a little Thank bit you. about um, what you meant when you said that, because it was such a beautiful word and I've, it's really resonated. Yeah, yeah. So ikigai is a Japanese word and it's spelled I-K-I-G-A-I. And I always need a little prompt to remember how to spell, how to pronounce words that are a bit foreign to me. So it rhymes with sticky eye, which is sort of useful as a doctor. So your ikigai and it's the it's your your purpose in life. And basically if you imagine like a um, a Venn diagram, so you've got four circles and the circles are, you know, something that you like doing something that you're good at, something the world needs, and something that will make you a living. So if you can find something that fits all of those circles in the middle, that's your ikigai. So I use that in relation to your business, Helen, because for lots of women, I'm, or and I know men do, anyone who's a primalista, that can be your ikigai. You can be, you know, if you love baking, you're, you know, you love low-carb, uh, the world certainly needs whole foods that are home-baked that maybe not necessarily baked by me since I'm not a good baker, but someone else can, and it can make you a living, then, then that's a key guy. So, you know, I think in the world where we really need um, options that are, are, are like homemade food that not everyone's making um, because the processed food industry is a massive juggernaut and the only way to counter it is to provide an alternative to people so or for people so I think that's well in fact that's that's the name of your business isn't it it's an alternative yeah exactly beautiful and you you found your ikigai and I found mine and and it's just it's a joy every day so much fun and it's very fulfilling so thank Indeed. you so much for your, I think that that was definitely the best description of insulin resistance I've ever heard in all my years of trying to wrap my head around insulin resistance. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. So before you go. You're welcome. What- well, as I said, I always just say to people, all you need to do is, yeah, look at everything is, will this open my shed or close my shed? Mm-hmm. It's not about good and bad. It's what's going ha- to help me keep my shed open? Yeah, I love it. That yeah, the locks on the shed is so so good, so mm. easy, and I'm very visual, so I can see that shed with all those padlocks on it. So it's very good. So before you go, Dr. Lucy, tell us where's the best place to find you, and if we wanted to get on with your amazing uh, sounding course, where would we find out about that? Ah, okay. So, um, so our business is called Real Life Medicine, and um, as I t- talked about that. That is truly who we are. We've, we're real and we're not perfect, but we live real life. Uh, you know, Dr. Mary has has little kids. She runs a very busy life. So we really spend a lot of time telling people or teaching people how you can just, you don't, doesn't have to be perfect and life doesn't have to be perfect for you to change what you're doing. Um, so all of our social media and everything is under real life medicine. Unfortunately, the real life medicine domain name is already bought and, you know, needed $5 million to unlock or whatever. So we've shortened it to RL Medicine. So RL for real life. So it's rlmedicine.com. And our signature program, which is the mind body rebalance. So really tapping particularly into that mindset, um, 
runs we only run that three times a year because it's pretty intense and we're in there just you know basically walking people through it like literally not literally but figuratively holding their hand um so it is intense but it's transformational and that the next one of that starts first week of September so shortly and you can just go to rlmedicine.com forward slash 12 capital WNBR so it's 12 week mind body rebalance perfect and we'll have those links in the show notes as well Dr Lucy thank you so much for your time today it's been real uh, it's been life and it's also been <laughs> cute, funny. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Helen. I really appreciate it. And I'm so happy that your brand offers, as I said, a beautiful alternative for all, because that's what we speak to our people about is what, what can you eat? What is helpful to eat? And the more brands that we have that are really aligned with just that low-carb real food message, the better. Awesome. Thank you. If you want to learn how to create and sell nutritious, honest food, help more people, be part of a supportive community, and start your own home business that's in alignment with your highest values, then the Primalista license is for you. Head over to primalalternative.com to find out how this works. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.